Part Three, Chapter Six, of the Luggage of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Six Zero Nine Zero, California, United States of America. The Luggage of Life by Frank W. Borum, on the wisdom of conducting one's own funeral. Mark Twain more than once makes merry at the lugubrious and fantastic conception of a man mourning at his own funeral. In these passages, the genial humorist is not at his best. He misses the true inwardness of things. There is nothing in actual experience more common and nothing more pathetic than for a man to occupy the position of chief mourner at his own burial. We have often read the touching records of missionaries on the islands who are compelled to act as grave-diggers and chaplains at the funerals of their own wives and children. And quite recently we heard of a stricken and lonely woman, in an ocean solitude, who was called to nerve herself to perform the same melancholy offices at the burial of her husband. But life holds an even deeper pathos. It is the tragic experience of every man who rightly reads the riddle of life to preside, perhaps more than once, at his own obsequies. He looks tearfully down upon the plate upon which his own name and age are inscribed and says deliberately and bravely ashes to ashes dust to dust lord durferin has told us that he owes his very life to a vivid dream in the course of which he seemed to be a mourner at his own funeral many a man owes far more than life itself not to a mere dream but to the actual experience the process occurs for instance in the choice of a profession here and there a man feels that he must follow a certain line and that no other is even thinkable but with the most men the trail is not so clearly blazed a man decides to be a builder but he feels that he would have made a very respectable banker or he resolves on being a minister but he feels at the same time that he could easily have distinguished himself as a barrister in such cases if he be wise the builder will straightway bury the banker that is in him, and the minister will pronounce the solemn words of committal over the grave of the barrister. The builder who is perpetually hankering after a teller's desk will never build anything better than huts or hovels, even for himself, and the minister who is forever casting envious eyes at a barrister's chambers will never catch the rapture that Christ's true ministers may know. That is a great story which Professor Hercules tells us in his life of Francis de Sisi. On the one hand, Francis longed to be a friar and to dedicate himself to poverty and pilgrimage. On the other hand, he loved a sweet and noble and gracious woman. He wrestled with his alternatives, and at length, through an agony of tears, he chose the cloak and the cowl. But still the lovely face haunted him by cloister and by shrine and one radiant moonlit night when the earth was wrapped in snow the brethren of the monastery saw him rise at dead of night he went out into the grounds and in the silvery moonlight fashioned out of the snow images of his wife and children and servants he arranged them in a circle and sat with them and giving rein to his fancy tasted for one delicious hour the ecstasies of hearth and home the joys of life and love then solemnly rising he kissed them all a tearful and a final farewell renounced such raptures forever and re-entered the convent 
that night francis the friar buried himself he read his own funeral service he had made his choice and in order that his life might not be clogged by the haunting images of dead possibilities the man who had decided to be a friar buried everything except the friar indeed the roman church draws the most impressive symbolism of its dedication from this source lamartine tells us of madame roland's visit to a french convent a novice took the veil during her residence there her presentation at the entrance her white veil her crown of roses the sweet and soothing hymns which directed her from earth to heaven the mortuary cloth cast over her youthful and buried beauty and over her palpitating heart made madame roland shudder and overwhelmed her with tears but there is no need to go beyond the pale of protestantism for our illustrations the case of f w robertson of brighton is very much to the point the love of arms ran in his very blood his grandfather his father and his brothers were all soldiers he himself had counted the slow years that must drag by before he could wear the queen's uniform but at last the time came and he found himself to his intense delight appointed to the third dragoon guards and almost simultaneously there came the call to the ministry then the struggle in the dark and finally the great decision robertson stripped off the brilliant uniform laid aside his sword entered the ministry and from that time forth never looked back the first service he conducted he conducted all alone it was the burial of the soldier in him and before burying him he stripped from the soldier all his military virtues endurance discipline courage and transferred them to the equipment of the minister if our years were allotted to us in the generous fashion which some of the patriarchs seem to have enjoyed a man might find some opportunity for trying his hand at more avocations than one as it is however the time is short at seventy a man only begins to feel that he knows his work there is no time for tinkering with many things or for trifling with one the very brevity of life clamors for concentration and economy we have all read the affecting and informing and heart-searching correspondence of dr marcus dodds no man sounded the very depths of life's innermost experiences more terribly than did he he felt called to be a minister he buried every other inclination and possibility then came years of neglect and rejection no congregation would call him but with a courage never excelled on a battlefield he held on he looked wistfully at the graves in which he had buried his earlier fancies but he would allow no resurrection and at last came recognition and reward and out of that agonizing experience he wrote on the economy of life and he deserves to be listened to with bated breath every man the doctor says as he grows into life finds he must employ such an economy on his own account he is pressed to occupy positions or to engage in work which will prevent him from achieving the purpose for which nature has fitted him he is offered promotion which seems attractive and has its advantages but he declines it because it would divert him from his chosen aim continually men spoil their life by want of concentration they are greatly tempted to do so for the public foolishly concludes that because a man does one thing well he can do everything well 
and he who has written a good history is straightway asked to sit in parliament or the man whose scholarship and piety have been conspicuous is offered preferment which calls for the exercise of wholly different qualities the theme might of course be amplified infinitely it is the central thought of the gospel there are times when men sigh with the speaker in tennyson's maud ah for a man to arise in me that the man i am may cease to be and jesus meets such men on their own ground he offers a new life ye must be born again he says and the birth within me of the man he means me to be necessarily implies the burial within me of the man i have actually been the vocabulary of the deathbed and the graveside was constantly on the lips of paul again and again he told the christians of europe and of asia the story of his own death and burial almost all his autobiographical references are obituary notices he had been crucified with christ he would say and he implored his hearers to reckon themselves as dead and buried too yes it is good for the builder to bury the banker that he might have been it is good for paul to bury the saul that he had been but there is one man within us whom we are most strongly tempted to bury to whose funeral we must never never go he is the man of our ideal the man of our prayers the man we fain would be there are no sadder lines in english poetry than those of william watson so on our souls the visions rise of that fair life we never led they flash a splendor past our eyes we start and they are fled they pass and leave us with blank gaze resigned to our ignoble days we catch the fair vision of glorious possibilities but we shake our heads like the rich young ruler and turn away sorrowful oh the pity of it resigned to our ignoble days the old world is very weary with weeping over her troubles and her tragedies but she has never known anything more expressibly mournful than that end of part three chapter six